Hi everyone, Laszlo Montgomery here, back in Claremont again, and let me say, wherever you are in the world, there's no place like home. I do have an overnighter to Minneapolis next week, but other than that, I'm staying put. Now that all the hubbub is over and all the China experts and analysts, not to mention the people of China, have weighed in with their two cents, I thought it wouldn't be a bad idea for us to focus on Xi Jinping and look at his life and this recent visit from the backdrop of China's recent history. In this way, we can gain a historical perspective about the events that have shaped his life. Well, he came, he saw, and he conquered. That is to say, everything went according to the script. And wherever Xi Jinping went, he was greeted with the usual suspects, as far as the main pro-China and anti-China groups go. But hey, this is all old hat for China, and they are expert at working around these problems. And everyone in the PRC, your leader, did fine. Most of the Weibo's I've read have also given uh, Xi Jinping the thumbs up. These visits by China's leaders are so risky these days. In this day and age, especially where Mr. Xi was going, the kind of spontaneous moments that could happen these days that could be caught on camera or video and in an internet instant, there could be 100,000 tweets and 10 million Weibo's spreading the embarrassing moment around. But he got out alive and didn't get splattered with any mud that I know of. He's a handsome guy. Yeah, I'll call him Shui. A nice, presentable leader. And he speaks beautiful Mandarin. Well, relatively speaking, of course. When I watch those old videos of Deng Xiaoping and Chairman Mao giving speeches, they're not even speaking Mandarin. Mao is speaking his Shaoshan version of the Hunan dialect, and Deng spoke in the Sichuan dialect. Jiang Zemin? Eh, not so easy to understand. Hu Jintao was an improvement. In any case, I'm sure the Lao Baixing had no trouble understanding them. But Xi Jinping, this leader-in-waiting, I'd even consider his Mandarin suitable for, you know, those um, language podcasts or CDs. He's nice and standard. Well, English is not his strength, and with uh, John Huntsman out of the U.S. presidential race, it looks like the leaders of the U.S. and China, whoever ends up getting elected, uh, for yet another generation of leaders aren't going to share a common lingua franca that would allow them to, you know, have a cozier relationship. Well, not the end of the world, though. I had too many distractions this week. Let me say that right up front. I got back uh, to the U.S. the day before Valentine's Day, and the next four days were a blur, and I will spare you the agonizing details. So I was too distracted to watch his visit in the kind of detail that I wish I could have. If you were glued to your TV sets and news feeds and watched every detail, then this podcast on Xi Jinping might be old hat. Unless there's some cataclysmic upheaval at the very top of the party, which, given the recent turn of events in Chongqing and Chengdu, I guess anything's possible, but barring the unexpected and improbable, come March of 2013, Xi Jinping will become the next president of China. As we'll see in this podcast, he's got the perfect background, and besides that, the two main factions at the pinnacle of power in China, the Jiang Zemin faction, the Hu Jintao faction, they both agreed on Xi. One thing to know about Mr. Xi, and this was not true of the current president, Hu Jintao, and his predecessor, Jiang Zemin, 
Xi Jinping is CCP royalty in China. If you were related to the first generation of leaders, Chairman Mao, Zhou Enlai, Zhu De, you know, those guys, you were a blue blood and true CCP royalty. I guess Li Peng was, uh, was an example, being the adopted son of Zhou Enlai, so when he became premier, he was of that most elite of the CCP. Well, so is Xi Jinping. Now, he wasn't related to anyone of the first generation, but his dad, Xi Zhongxun, was a major mover and shaker of the second generation, the generation of Deng Xiaoping. And it was Xi Zhongxun, who you recall from the eight-part Deng Xiaoping episode, who played a leading role in the development of the special economic zones, particularly in Shenzhen. Xi Zhongxun was an erstwhile ally of Deng, and we'll see in a moment the good and bad of that. It was Xi Zhongxun whose home and whose power base was in Shanxi province, and he was among those present who welcomed Chairman Mao and you know, the other leaders at the conclusion of the Long March in Yan'an. So he went way back. Xi Zhongxun was a deputy premier during the Great Leap Forward years and governor of Guangdong province during the critical years of 1979, 80, 81. Two of his protégés are the current president and premier of China, Hu Jintao and Wen Jiabao. But for the 16 years from 1962 to 1978, he was in political disgrace. You all remember Kangsheng, the evil watchdog of Chairman Mao, in 1962, when Xi ran afoul of Mao, the great helmsman gave Kang Sheng the scent of Xi Zhongxun and turned Kang loose right before the 10th plenum. And as always, the sinister Kang Sheng did his job well, and that was it for Vice Premier Xi. And Xi Zhongxun and his whole family, including the subject of today's episode, Xi Jinping, their fortunes took a turn for the worse. The whole family, for better or for worse, was tied to their famous father. Those were 16 years in political oblivion. And they helped shape Xi Jinping, as I suppose they would have shaped anyone in that situation. The legacy of Xi Zhongxun, well, I saw it last week when I spent three days in Futian in Shenzhen. Of course, credit for the success of the whole reform and opening up to the outside world ultimately goes to Deng Xiaoping. He was the one, you know, credited with having the vision and the one leader who had the guts to lay his head on the chopping block and take this immense risk. But like all the greatest leaders, Deng had to have a gang to carry out his big ideas and make them happen. He didn't do this by himself. And for the development of Guangdong province and the setting up of the SCZs there, Deng's man was Xi Zhongxun who he brought back from oblivion, and she did a great job. And people in Guangdong never forgot this guy, and just as they honor him up in his native Shanxi, he's also one of the heroes down in Guangdong, and certainly in the SEZ of Shenzhen. Our hero today, Xi Jinping, born in the year of the snake, June 1st, 1953, which, as we heard and read all week, makes him 58 years old at the time of this podcast. Same birthday as Ronnie Wood. Ronnie's a little older. Like I said, he was uh, of the party aristocracy, so it was only fitting that this scion of such a high-ranking personage as Xi Zhongxun was born in that great city founded by Kublai Khan, the city of Beijing, 
Now, Xi Jinping is still considered a Shanxi Ren because of his father's ties to Fuping County in China's great historic province of Shanxi. This was within an hour's drive of Xi'an. So that's where Xi Jinping hails from, even though circumstances gave him the privilege, not to mention all the conveniences that came with uh, growing up in Beijing. But live by the sword, die by the sword, when your world orbited Mao Zedong, anything could happen. So when Xi Zhongxun fell out of favor, his family fell with him. And so began that part of Xi Jinping's life, which, well, in many ways, inoculated himself against later claims that he's a princeling who had it easy. He may have been a princeling, but look what good that got him. Not even 10 years old yet in 1962, and his world gets turned upside down. By 1969, when the Cultural Revolution is fully revved up, he's 16 years old, living a little east of Yan'an. Yes, the Yan'an of that most famous revolutionary of periods. This is the northernmost Shanxi province. He spent six years there. And that's where Xi Jinping began his rise up the cursus honorum of the CCP. It all began there during those formative years, living on a commune, working hard, living simply with humility, performing manual labor, nothing glamorous by a long shot, with, of course, the sword of his father's disgrace hanging over his head the whole time. But in his ancestral land, of Shanxi province, where his father was still considered one of them, Xi Jinping was looked after. He lived in the village of Liangjiahe, which, as I mentioned, was not too far to the east of Yan'an in Yanchuan County. Not a vacation resort kind of a place. In many interviews and passages taken from previous interviews, Xi Jinping made it no secret that these years eating bitterness with all the other residents of this rugged part of China. It had a big impact on him. And when he's often portrayed as a man of the people, it all starts here. When despite the prestige and authority that his father had prior to 1962, he was just as common as the next Shanxi peasant or worker whose family had been scratching that Huangtu or yellow soil going back to the days before Confucius. He lived in a cave, which in that part of China was common because of the geology in that region. You had those yellow cliffs everywhere where a man could easily carve out a nice little habitation for his family. Xi Jinping put up with fleas, sleeping on a kong, bad food, millet porridge all the time, hard work doing farm chores. He ran away at first when he first got there, but he got rounded up and sent back and that's when he decided to embrace his fate rather than fight it. So despite being banished to the wilderness, he embraces the very CCP, the very Communist Party that took him as a young lad from his comfortable Beijing existence and into this world that he was utterly unfamiliar with and in such volatile and terrible times. So what did he do there and how did he make the best of it? 1971. He's 18 years old. After many failed attempts, he joins the Communist Youth League. This is the logical first step. And then, 1974, he joins the Communist Party. He's 21 years old. He initially got involved in local party politics in Yanchuan. You know, the kind of stuff where you, know, where you first begin to navigate the 
oceans of the CCP. Now, he can't help it that he was Xi Zhongxun's son. You can't choose who your parents are. For someone of Xi Jinping's generation who grew up in his circumstances, it wasn't always a good thing to have a top leader as a parent. Now, at this point in 74, when he enters the party, it's not easy to trade on his father's name yet because Xi Zhongxun is still not rehabilitated. So to some extent, at the outset, Xi Jinping has to find his own way. The next year, in 1975, he gets some fringe benefits from being a member of the party and starts a four-year program at Tsinghua University. And there he famously studies chemical engineering. Looks great on the resume. Tsinghua, to those who are not familiar, is one of the three most preeminent universities in all of China, Peking U and Fudan being the others. It's like MIT, Yale, and Harvard, not only because of the prestige enjoyed by the quality of the academics there, but also for producing a hefty concentration of graduates who still today go on and make something of their lives or go shake the world in some way. The current president of China, Hu Jintao, and the previous premier, Zhu Rongji, are famous Tsinghua alums. So this was a nice environment for Xi Jinping to wait out the last years of the Cultural Revolution. By the time he entered Tsinghua, the ten years of chaos were in the final two years. The worst was over, and by the time he graduates from Tsinghua in 1979, his father had been pulled up from the tombs by... Deng Xiaoping was busy down in southern China earning his later epithet as the architect of the special economic zones. His first job out of college, he works in the capacity of secretary of the general office of the state council. The general office. Did anyone ever see Terry Gilliam's masterpiece, Brazil? The general office was, in a way, like central services in the movie. This is the actual administrative machine that runs China. It's headed by the premier, and it's one massive bureaucracy. In Chinese, it's called the Guoban. Now, secretary is not the same as secretary general, so our hero is not starting at the top. But here we start to see the common thread that runs through Xi Jinping's career. He never messes up. He does his job with accuracy and efficiency never falls under a cloud of suspicion, says or does all the right things, and builds a reputation for building a consensus wherever he goes. He's not a maverick, not someone who goes over the line. He did a well enough job in the general office to earn a promotion, and here, 1979, he's 26 years old, and he gets a job working for the revolutionary military hero Gang Biao in the general office of the CMC. The Central Military Commission. Again, as he was at the State Council General Office, he serves in the nice, low-risk position of secretary. And it's by this time the Cultural Revolution is over. Deng Xiaoping has made his comeback, and his father is resurrected. And so rather than being a liability, having his father back in the picture now allowed him to make his entree into the CMC. Maybe you saw Xi Jinping this week on Tuesday during a visit to the Pentagon. Well, what was he doing there? There was a wonderful photo of China's future president inspecting an honor guard and receiving a 19-gun salute outside the Pentagon, all bundled up but looking nice and dignified. This was the first time the Defense Department had arranged such a highfalutin military ceremony for a visiting vice president. 
I could only imagine the horse trading that must have been going on between Chinese and American diplomats about how this whole reality show was going to be scripted. It was very important back in the home country that Xi Jinping looked good on this trip. A lot of people in China had a lot riding on the success of this visit. She was there Tuesday to meet Leon Panetta, our American version of the Guofang Buzhang, defense minister. She earned his right to walk into that meeting with the defense secretary from this earliest association with China's military, which started right here, 1979 to 1982. He's still in his 20s. His years as an official in the general office of the CMC, the Central Services for the Military, and Xi Jinping gets a nice start and begins his long association with the PLA. And as China's future president, having these pre-existing relationships and these two massive bureaucracies can only help. And of course, his father was a military hero. And in China, just as in America, that's a badge of pride that a lot of people feel for their parents, if any one of them you know, served with valor in the military. The party, obviously, by 1983, had big plans for him. He's now 30 years old and proved uh, he was no slouch or lazy second generation. His record was still unblemished. And so for 17 years, from 1985 to 2002, Xi Jinping was on the move, climbing up the CCP ladder one rung at a time. First in Hebei province, then Fujian, finally in Zhejiang and Shanghai. Now, this doesn't mean to say he wasn't ever in Beijing. He was probably taking the red-eye flight all the time, back and forth from wherever he was based. Remember, Xiaomen in Fujian at this time is a special economic zone. He's on the standing committee of the party offices in Xiamen and was starting to become somebody. She was certainly rising fast and booming Fujian province. And he served there in a number of positions, a deputy mayor of Xiamen and then in the military. Xi Jinping's Fujian adventure is what made him. Besides executive authority and party affairs, he was knee-deep in the other things that came along with a leadership position in Fujian. There was the whole economic side of Fujian, and there was also the matter of Fujian's neighbor across the strait. So Xi Jinping got very closely involved in China-Taiwan relations. And boy, you really had to tread carefully where that was concerned. But he walked away from his whole Fujian experience very much enriched. In 1985, she is now 32, and this was the year he also made his now famous trip to Muscatine, Iowa, little town right on the border with my home state of Illinois. The press covered this little sideshow quite a bit this week when 27 years later, she returned to visit the home of the Land family, the first Americans he had ever come to know. And glad they gave him a good impression. This was during his closing days in Hebei when he was visiting the U.S. as part of some Hebei, Iowa sister state exchange. And he famously stayed down the street from the lands at the Dvorak's, uh, sleeping in their son's bedroom that was all decked out with Star Trek decorations and paraphernalia. 2002 was a pivotal year for Xi Jinping. She really makes it to the big top when in 2002, He's elected to the 16th Central Committee of the Party and also made governor of Zhejiang province, which I dare to call the California of China, only because of the size of their economy 
strategic importance to the country and the particular industriousness of the Zhejiang people. This was a very important posting. So 2002 to 2007, he was in Zhejiang and Shanghai, and he's also a Central Committee member. In September 2006, some of you might recall the city of Shanghai had one of those famous high-profile corruption scandals that saw the untouchable Chen Liangyu, mayor and later party secretary of Shanghai, jailed on a number of pretty serious charges. Although the party did their utmost to sweep this whole affair under the rug quietly, any China watcher knows what happened. And it's these kinds of things that have a particularly bad smell to them. So Chen Liangyu was booted out of the top spot in Shanghai and in his place, at least until the dust settled, was put Xi Jinping. It was a brief tenure as Shanghai party boss in 2007, but that really fast-tracked Xi Jinping to the epidermis of the party hierarchy. That was a pretty big upheaval there, and by the time Xi left the post and handed things off to Yu Zhengsheng, what can I say? The patient was stabilized. And in 2007, after a job well done in Shanghai, he also makes it to the 17th Central Committee to the party, one of the lucky... 350 or so. When 2010 rolled around, he had served long enough in his capacity as a PLA political officer that when he was made a vice chairman of the Central Military Commission, nobody could say he didn't you know, work his way up to the top or almost the top. That vice chairmanship of the CMC was no ceremonial position. He had a real power base there and actual experience and relationships developed over half his career. And as we all know, this 17th Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party is the current reigning champ. And it will be all finalized this year in October, presumably, who will be the lineup to the 18th Central Committee. Who will be in the Politburo and drumroll maestro? Who will comprise the final nine, the standing committee? The suspense is killing me. In March 2013, after the 12th National People's Congress, that's when Xi Jinping will actually take office as state president. And if all goes according to the master plan, he's going to be the core of the party until 2023-2024. For the time being, among other things, Xi is vice president of the state. He's vice chairman of the CMC. He's also the principal or president of the party school. He's also one of the six members of the 17th Central Committee Party Secretariat in charge of all personnel matters related to the state or the party. In the all-powerful nine-man standing committee, he is ranked number six behind Hu Jintao, Wu Bangguo, Wen Jiabao, Jia Qinglin, and Li Changchun. This week in the U.S., Vice President Xi has been dissected by the press and by China analysts, Six Ways to Sunday. There's been a lot of repeating his official bio, and, you know, when you search the internet for info on Xi Jinping, it's a lot of the same old, repetitive, boring stuff. The same official who wrote Hu Jintao's bio, they called him in to handle Xi Jinping's also. I think the reason is that the special thing about the future president is He's managed to navigate some very shark-filled waters for a very long time. 
from his entry into the party in 1974, and I guess you could say all the way up to this most recent trip, Xi Jinping has played it cool, remained blemish-free, never did anything that you know got him in trouble, and as far as his rep earned as a man of the people, you know, there's plenty of true stories circulating around over the course of his life and career. You know, he talked the talk and walked the walk. And he has a daughter, same age as mine, who famously goes to Harvard, and his wife, as it's been reported ad nauseum, is a major star in China, known throughout the land since she exploded onto the scene in 1982. She's a stalwart at all the annual Chinese New Year official CCTV galas, and the most famous folk singer in all of China, Peng Liguan. Mick and Keith are nothing compared to Peng Liguan in China. So Xi Jinping has that nice, requisite, interesting, and perfect family. And I'm sure his wife will make a great first lady. She's also a major general in the PLA song and dance troupe. And what is there to say except this adds a nice, interesting, human interest twist to Xi's regnal period when it begins. Well, this past week, including this recent visit to my little corner of the world in Southern California, Xi Jinping starred in his own reality show, albeit a scripted and, may I say, from the dearth of diplomatically embarrassing things that happened, an excellently choreographed visit as well. On the Chinese and on the American side, Everyone knew well in advance what issues were going to be raised. This is a rite of passage for any visiting Chinese leader. I think Hu Jintao received his, uh, his uh, ribbon in 1992. So when she was face-to-face with his counterpart, Vice President Joe Biden, and when he had his brush with President Obama and with other leaders, the whole Los Ocho Problemas, the... Sino-U.S. trade imbalance, the RMB, cybersecurity, China's defense buildup, Tibet, human rights, North Korea, Iran, Taiwan, ouch, all those issues. Xi Jinping knew way in advance he was going to get an airfall, and he took it all in stride, and I'm sure, you know, behind the scenes, officials on both sides were, you know, prearranging how much heat could be turned up on any one issue. Well, China's officials all have their boilerplate responses to all these issues, and everyone got to look good in some shape or form with their constituents, uh, whoever they were. At last, and last Friday night, he took in the fourth quarter of the Lakers game against Phoenix, and he sat with Mayor Villaraigosa and Governor Brown, and Bex and Magic stopped by to pay their respects, and he got to sit in the AEG luxury box. I mean, what more do you want? Uh, Yeah, he got the whole treatment. And if he would have stayed longer, I'm sure the powers that be could have dragged out every major movie star who was in town that night. And then after the game, his motorcade took him to LAX, and off into the night he went to the Emerald Isle. Xi Jinping is now in Ireland, and then he heads to Turkey. But the big one, at least, is out of the way, and hopefully between now and the moment he touches down in Beijing, Xi Jinping will have a smooth trip. This was important. This man is going to be China's next leader. Now, this is a misnomer, as most are aware. The days of Chairman Mao and Deng Xiaoping acting as the undisputed strongman in charge are over. The way the party likes to do it is just like you saw with Hu Jintao and like we're seeing now with Xi Jinping. 
from the whole eight-part Deng Xiaoping series, we saw how the country really suffered at times of transition at the top. So once Jiang Zemin found his stride after 1989, the party got smart and said, from now on, we're going to write this screenplay ourselves rather than risk any live impromptu performance when the time comes. And so this whole U.S., Ireland, Turkey visit was all just another act in the play. Yipu, yipu, step by step. There's still plenty more hoops to jump through before Xi Jinping is standing with the other eight on that stage in the Great Hall of the People sometime this October. In the place of honor, of course. Xi Jinping will be the first among equals. That's the way things work in China. He kept being referred to as China's future leader or leader-in-waiting, but it's actually the whole standing committee, those nine guys. They are the deciders. Not any single one of them has power over the other, and they don't all get along or see eye to eye. I liken them to the U.S. Supreme Court justices. Everything is consensus with those guys, and if there's anything Xi Jinping must be an expert in by now, it's in building relationships and achieving things through consensus. And so today we looked at this man, Xi Jinping, and sort of overlaid his career on top of the history timeline that is the PRC. He was born just shy of four years after liberation, 1949. He was a son of a historic person who has made it into the history books, not only for his military exploits, but also for his work in the political and economic arena as well. Xi Jinping was only a small boy when Mao began stirring things up in the late 50s with all his zany ideas. And privilege allowed him to survive the Great Leap Forward and the subsequent famine. But being born in the early to mid-1950s like he was, Xi Jinping, like millions and millions of others, was the perfect age to get caught up in the worst of the Cultural Revolution. They were uprooted from their middle schools and high schools, and everything was shut down, and off to the countryside, all these students went, and no school anymore, and Xi Jinping, well, you know, he was lucky, but most weren't, and being uprooted like they were, it was difficult to bounce back from, you know, this rustification campaign. People's lives were ruined to this day. There's no question that his father's connections were able to grease the wheels and make his road easier after 1978. But we all know it's one thing to get into positions of authority. It's another thing to actually have talent and ability. And no need to go into too much detail about all the abuses that go on once people are put into positions of power and authority. So as China opened up in the 1980s, when the whole Deng Xiaoping thing happened in full force and into the 90s when China was just about to go into afterburner. Xi Jinping was part of that machinery, playing his part, low-key, incorruptible, effective, and a team player. And he never got caught being drunk or disorderly, taking backhanders from corrupt businessmen, or doing anything inappropriate. So, is this all a good thing or a bad thing? What was the whole takeaway from this visit of Vice President Xi? No one knows, I guess didn't come to negotiate any treaties or anything like that. For years, everyone in the government, in the press here, and in business, everyone sort of knew who he was. And if they couldn't pronounce his name, at least they read his bio. But this week was all about getting to know 
Xi Jinping a little more, see him up close, what he looked like, how he acted. As the um, J.K. Simmons character says to Palmer at the end of Burn After Reading, what have we learned here? I don't think anyone knows. But the fact that this future president got in and got out unscathed and had a very respectable amount of, uh, well, respect paid to him, at the very least... It was a good PR event that certainly had a positive impact on U.S.-China relations. And I'm all for that, whenever and wherever. If I'm still doing this podcast 10 years from now, we'll have an episode where we can review how we did. If any of you haven't caught the latest Melvin Bragg In Our Time podcast, stop everything you're doing and go download that one right now. This show features the Anlushan Rebellion and one of the three experts on the program this time is the very Francis Wood, whose book I featured in that previous Silk Road podcast, number 73. Listen for yourselves, everyone, what a real China expert sounds like. She's the lead curator of Chinese at the British Library. And it's a shame Dr. Wood herself doesn't have the time to bring you weekly China history podcasts. So instead, you're stuck with the great imposter, Laszlo Montgomery. Anyways, that's my two cents. This is Laszlo Montgomery on behalf of everyone here at the China History Podcast, wishing you all the very best. Join us next week for another exciting episode of the China History Podcast.